All right. Well, good morning, everyone. So great to be back here with you this morning. We're going to talk about holiness. And I don't know about you, but when I think of holiness, it's not one of the most easy topics to talk about. And the reason, I think, is because for so many of us, holiness has this negative stigma attached to it. So many of us, we think of long sleeves and button-up shirts all the way to the top of our neck, skirts and ties and, and hair in a bun and no makeup and uh, no dating, no playing cards, no drinking alcohol, no smoking, no going to movies. The list just goes on and on and on and on. For so many of us, I think that's how we view holiness. It's just this outward do's and don'ts. And so this concept of, of holiness for so many of us, I think just seems completely impossible and fully stifling and void of life. Because we live in a day and an age where uh, so much of life is difficult. So much of what we see is the opposite of of who God is. I mean, we live in a days where profanity and sex and cheating and stealing and, and uh, deception and, and all sorts of behavior, just the common norms for our culture. And so this day which we live in, uh, every one of us, we can come up with reasons for why it's okay to do the things that we do. We're constantly justifying the things that we say and our, our behavior. And so I think for so many of us, this concept of holiness it just seems like some sort of archaic religious code that churches have invented to try to guilt us into certain ways of living. Anybody relate to that type of perspective of holiness? I think a lot of us, that's, that's where we kind of start from when we think about holiness and try to understand what holiness actually is. But look at this in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8. It says, Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Now, look what he's talking about here, because it's God who said, be holy. It's not a church. It's not a person that commands us to be holy. It's actually God himself commands us to be holy. But I think just as soon as we start thinking about that, now all of a sudden we're, we think, well, surely God didn't actually mean that. That's not actually what he meant. He didn't really mean be holy as he is holy. I mean, he had to have meant be good, you know, or um, be a decent person. Or um, be at least better than Max Peoples. You know, that, that, that had to have been what God was talking about here. I mean, he couldn't have meant be holy as he is holy because is that actually even possible? Well, the answer to that depends upon your definition of holy because if by holy you mean perfect without ever making a mistake, then you're absolutely right. It's impossible for us to be holy, but if by holy, you mean wanting and doing the right things, well, that's a whole different matter because now that's actually possible with the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. See, folks, holiness is not something that comes from or is defined by any person or any church. Holiness is something that's commanded to us by God himself. As a matter of fact, the word holy in its various forms in, in the Bible is this more than 600 times in Scripture. Actually, the whole book of Leviticus, as the video described, is devoted to this topic of holiness. And so holiness, it's an enormous part of the Christian life. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, work at living in peace with everyone, 
and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Let me read it to you in a couple different translations. The NIV says it this way. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then the New King James Version says it this way. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now notice the action words that are attached to this word holy. To work at, to make every effort, and to pursue Every one of these words have the exact same meaning of chasing after with the full intent of apprehending it. And so we are actually called to chase after holiness. But in contrast to what the Apostle Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. Now look at how the Apostle Paul is describing holiness here, because here in these verses, the Apostle Paul is describing that the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, in that moment, you are set apart and made holy to God. In other words, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, God then calls you holy, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to improve upon that. He calls you holy. He's the one who sets you apart. And so how does this work? Because on one hand, I'm supposed to chase after holiness, but then I already am holy. How can both of these be true? Well, why don't you think about it this way? Because how many of you have ever been on a farm before? Anybody ever been on a farm before? I grew up in northeastern Colorado, and my dad was a, was a dairy farmer and um, raised a lot of crops of wheat and, and corn. And so I'm very familiar with a farmer's life. And uh, of all people, I think farmers work probably the hardest of any occupation. And when you think about the nature of what farmers do is they work really, really hard without really being able to know what the end result is going to be. They have a lot of faith. My dad used to say farmers are the biggest gamblers out there Um, because they do. They work really hard without really knowing is it going to produce something. It's an interesting thing because the farmer, what he does, he plows his field and he plants the seed and he fertilizes it and gets rid of the weeds that will choke out the crops. But in the end, the farmer is completely dependent upon forces outside of himself. Because the farmer, he cannot cause that seed to grow. The farmer can't cause it to rain the right amount. The farmer can't cause it to sun, the sun to shine at the, the right times and with the right intensity so that the crop will grow and he'll be able to actually harvest the crop. The farmer can't control those things. In other words, a successful farmer is completely dependent upon God doing a whole bunch of these things. But if the farmer doesn't do what he's supposed to do, if he's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs with all that acreage, hoping that some way, somehow, those crops are just going to magically appear and they're going to grow, if he doesn't put any effort into those things, then he's not going to have any crops at the time of harvest. Think about it. Because here, God will not force the farmer to do anything. But the farmer can't do what God can do, and God will not force the farmer to do anything. The farmer is responsible for things too. And so when you think about it, this whole parallel here is very similar to us chasing holiness, because holiness is something that we need God to do. In other words, if God's not present in your life, then holiness is completely impossible. This is what's called positional holiness. 
But on the other side of things, if we're just sitting around twiddling our thumbs, hoping some way, somehow, that God's going to tap his magic wand on our head, then all of a sudden your character changes, your behavior changes, what comes out of your mouth changes, what's in your heart, your thought life changes. If you're just sitting around waiting for God just to magically do something in your life like that, then again, holiness will be missed in your life. And this is what is called behavioral holiness. And there's a partnership, a relationship between positional holiness and behavioral holiness. That's the interaction of these two. And so what exactly is holiness? Well, holiness means to be morally blameless. Holiness, it's being separated from sin and set apart for God. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you know the guidelines we laid out for you from the Master Jesus. God wants you to live a pure life. Keep yourself from sexual promiscuity. Learn to appreciate and give dignity to your body, not abusing it as is so common among those who know nothing of God. Don't run roughshod over the concerns of your brothers and sisters. Their concerns are God's concerns, and he will take care of them. We've warned you about this before. God hasn't invited us into a disorderly, unkempt life, but into something holy and beautiful, as beautiful on the inside as the outside. If you disregard this advice, you're not offending your neighbors, you're rejecting God, who is making you a gift of his Holy Spirit. And then the Apostle Peter, he describes it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. And so a holy life is a God-focused life. It's not doing what everybody else is doing or not doing. It is simply living out of what God has called you to do. And so living a holy life means living a life that's in full agreement with and obedience to what God has already spoken in his scripture, in his word, and to what the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you in this moment and this time. And so the question becomes, if holiness then is so basic to the Christian life, then why do we struggle so much with it? I mean, why is it that it seems that we look more like the world then we actually look like God. Remember the commandment is be holy as I am holy, God said. So why is it that we tend to look more like the world than actually looking like God? Well, I think one of the major problems for so many of us is that we're constantly adding our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own ways of doing things to what God has already said. You missed that one, didn't you? Let me say it again. I think one of our major problems is that we're constantly adding our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own ways of doing things to what God has already told us to do. Now, I think this is such a huge issue for most of us because in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says this, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but what? What's it say? We're nothing but filthy rags. And that's what happens when we or when the church tries to define holiness by some sort of lists of do's and don'ts, then the Bible describes for us it's nothing more than filthy rags to God. We fall so short 
of trying to measure up to who God actually is, which is why when God was trying to teach the Israelites who he is and how to interact with him and how to approach him, one of the things you'll see over and over and over in the Old Testament in Scripture is you'll see this interaction with God and the Israelites so that they would understand that God actually hates the mixing of man's ideas with God's ideas, the mixing of man's ways with God's ways because it interferes with just who he is. And one of the first examples of this that we see in Scripture is God when God introduces himself to a man by the name of Moses. Look at this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, I want you to think about this here this morning, because why was it necessary for Moses to remove his sandals? Have you ever thought about that? Why was it necessary for Moses to remove his sandals? I mean, why would God call Moses to draw near and then stop him short? I want you to think about it this way, because who made the dirt on the ground that had been sanctified by the presence of God? Who made the dirt? And who made the feet and the sandals that were approaching the presence of Almighty God? God did. But then who made the sandals that Moses was wearing? Some man or some woman made those sandals. See, folks, God doesn't want to mix man-made things. He doesn't want man-made things to stand between him and us. Why don't you do something here this morning, if you would, please? I'm going to ask you to take off your shoes. Just take off your shoes. Come on, just take off your shoes right where you are. Come on, be brave. I know some of you aren't prepared to go shoeless or some of you maybe didn't wear socks or maybe you have holes in your socks. Go ahead, take your shoes off. It's okay. Your pastor's asking you to take your shoes off. At the risk of this room getting stinky right now, go ahead. Go ahead, take, take your shoes off, your sandals off over this. And I want you to think about it. There's... there's There's something about just doing, asking you to take your shoes off that's a bit weird, isn't it? Some of you are still resisting me, aren't you? (laughs) There's something a little embarrassing to taking your shoes off, isn't it? There's something a bit uncomfortable with it because you may have a hole in your sock, you know, or your feet may stink and it's like you would rather have them covered up and... We don't give attention to it. There's something vulnerable about just taking off your shoes in a church setting like this. But isn't that the point? See, folks, it's our ideas and our intellect and our knowledge and our knowing and our learning and our arrogance. These are all filters that can defile and, can, and contaminate our interaction with God. So because God is holy. And yes, just like with Moses, God is calling us near and drawing us near to him. But we need to be fully surrendered to him and not demanding our own way. And therein is the essence of holiness. That is what holiness is all about. 
I want to share with you an experience that I had, and I debated whether or not to even tell you this experience because it's fully embarrassing on my part. And, um, but I, I relinquished and decided I was going to go ahead and tell you the story here this morning. This happened several years ago when I was pastoring up in Wisconsin, and I took our pastoral team to a um, retreat center. It's called the Sanctuary in Whitewater, Wisconsin, and we were there going there for three days. And, and I don't know how it is if you go on a retreat or anything like that. I, I tend to go prepared to get caught up, actually. And so I love to read, and so I brought a whole stack of books. I've been meaning to read for a while, and just hadn't gotten to it. So I brought a stack of books. I brought my laptop to work on things I needed to work on. And, and uh, I walk into this place and that um, was created and led by um, an African-American woman in her 80s. Her name is Purnell. And, and she looks at my stack of books, and she goes, mm-mm, mm-mm. All I want you to do is read your Bible while you're here, and there'll be a book in your room that I want you to read and go through. And I thought, what? (laughs) That's not what I signed up for. I came here because there are things that I needed to do. And not only that, is that we didn't get to choose our rooms. There's lots of different rooms in this prayer and fasting place. And I had been in the facility before, and there were some very elaborate, large, very um, kind of luxurious type rooms that I really wanted to be in because I was, again, wanting to rest and spend a lot of time just recuperating. But, oh, no, I didn't get to choose my room. She assigned us rooms. And I was put in this room called the upper room, which was just this little, small little space that wasn't comfortable at all. But this was my room, and I could only read my Bible and go through this book that she wanted us to go through. And so I wrestled with that, just, ah, this is not what I signed up. That's not what I wanted to do. But okay, God, if somehow you can meet me through this, I will do this. And so I picked up the book and just started reading. And the first part of the book talked about just the, the need as you come before God just to lay your heart before him and to repent of those things, of your sins and those types of things. And kind of, there's kind of this worksheet that kind of walked us through these different things. And, and so I was filling out my worksheet. And then they asked you to take the, the worksheet and, and take it into the prayer closet, which was a literal closet that had been turned into kind of a little prayer area. And because I'm a little bit big and, and tall and stuff, I had to kind of kneel down to even get into the prayer closet. And so I took that list, and I was just praying and just taking those things before the Lord. And, and there in the prayer closet was this Jewish prayer shawl. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, I've never really prayed with a Jewish prayer shawl before, but it's here, and so I guess I'll use that to pray with. And so I, I just put the prayer shawl all over my head, and, and I just began to, to pray and bring, present those things before the Lord. And as I was praying, all of a sudden I heard these words remove your clothes. And I thought, that's not God. (laughs) Because God knows how uncomfortable that idea even is to me. And so I just kept on praying and, and just kept on trying to ignore it, but I couldn't get away from those words, remove your clothes. And so I wrestled there trying to think, well, how do I get out of this? Um, number one, I'm not certain this is God. Number two, if it is God, this is ridiculous, and, and I don't understand it. And I, I came to this point of, you know, I can, I can take the risk and, and it not be God and look like a fool, or I can take the risk and ignore it and miss what God is doing. And I thought, well, I, I, I don't want to do the latter. And so as comfortable as that is, I got back out of the prayer closet and went back in the room and I started taking off my clothes. Now, the problem was, in this room, there are mirrors everywhere. 
but not the nice little Hobby Lobby mirrors. These are floor-to-ceiling panels of mirrors that were all over the walls in that room. Now, you need to understand me. I'm a very modest person. I'm not one of these guys that walks around this house with my shirt off or just walking around my boxers or anything like that. I tend to always be pretty clothed. And so, so this, this, this whole thing of having to take my clothes off was completely humiliating and embarrassing to me. And everywhere I looked were these mirrors. I couldn't get away from myself. I couldn't get away from my nakedness. And so I hurried and took off my clothes. Not only my clothes, I took off my grandfather's ring. I took off my, my wedding ring. And I, I took off my watch that I used, I used to wear. And I hurried and went back to the prayer closet. And I was never so glad to have something to put over me as a prayer, <laughs> as a prayer shawl used to have something because not only were the mirrors in the room, there were mirrors in the prayer closet. <laughs> and so I just, I just quickly put the prayer shawl back on and I just began to pray and um, just, and I said, God, okay, God, I don't know what all this is about, but um, God, I, obviously I'm here completely naked now. Here was my problem. There were no locks on the door. <laughs> and so when I'm trying to pray, all I could think of is what if somebody walks in the door? What if somebody walks in and sees me like this? They're going to think I'm even, even a complete pervert or I've, I've jumped off the deep end or something like that. And so I'm just, I don't know what God's going to try to do with this. And he comes so distracted by my whole nakedness and trying to figure out if I'm even supposed to be doing this. So, so I, I'm praying in the prayer closet. And, and as I began to pray, I just began to pray, okay, God, here I am. Obviously, I'm completely naked and stripped of everything um, that I used to cover up. And as I began to say those words, something began to stir inside of me, the realization of how often we cover ourselves up with stuff. We cover ourselves up with titles and positions, and we cover ourselves up with the accolades and our achievements of things. And I began to say, okay, God, I let all of those things go. I let go of all those positions. I let go of all those things I cover up. And God, I recognize, and it was kind of an interesting thing because I'd open my eyes and I would see with a prayer cloth uh, shawl on, and this began to, um, I was reminded of God's covering and God's authority. And so I began to pray, God, okay, I, I let go of all those things and I come just under your covering. I come under your authority, and I come out from underneath all those other things that I've used to cover myself. And so I began just to pray like that um, there in the prayer closet. Eventually, I finished praying and felt like I could finally get dressed, which I was very grateful for. And so I got back up, went back into the room. But it was interesting because as quickly as I had taken my clothes off, this time I felt compelled to go slowly. It was such a weird thing that I felt I kept the prayer shawl on, and as I had the prayer shawl on, I began to put on my clothes. And it was such a powerful visual of, first and foremost, coming under God's covering and under his authority. And then as I put my clothes on, I began to pray, God, thank you for clothes. <laughs> thank you that I, could, I have it. Thank you for your material possessions that you've blessed me with. Thank you for my car and my house. And I just began to thank him for these other things. And it was such a revelation of being under God's covering first... And in recognizing these other things were simply blessings that he had added to my life. Instead of them being my covering, they came secondary. I was first and foremost under God's covering and under his authority. And then these other things, they began just be secondary. They came up underneath that. And then I, I picked up my socks and I remembered from Ephesians chapter 6 that our feet were shot with, shod with the gospel of peace. And as I put my socks on, I still had my prayer shawl on. I began just to, 
to pray, God, I thank you for the gifting and the call that you've given me. I thank you for the ministry. I thank you for the church that I get a pastor. I thank you for what you have in store for me. And I bring all of that under. I began just to bring all the, the, the churches and the ministries that we were doing just underneath that, underneath that covering. And then I went and I picked up my, my grandfather's ring and I, I put it on my, my, my finger and I, and I still had the prayer shawl on. And, and I began just to pray, God, I thank you for my godly heritage. I thank you for my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents who have gone before me, who have paced away for me, who have opened up a way for me. I thank you for the heritage. And I come out from underneath any generational spirit or curse that has been a part in my life. And I come up underneath the covering and the spiritual blessing of the generations who have gone before me. And then I picked up my marriage ring and still had my the parish all over me, and I put it on. I said, God, thank you for my beautiful, amazing, godly wife that you have given me and how you bless, and I am blessed because of her. And I thank you for my four godly children who love their mom and dad and who love you and who love the church and who are called um, in, in life and they're following after their call. And I just began to thank God for them, all the while still underneath that covering. I've just brought my family underneath, underneath that covering. And then lastly, I picked up my watch and I put my watch on and I began to just think, God, thank you for my time. Thank you for my past and all that you've done. Thank you for this moment right here. Thank you for the future. My life is yours. My time is yours. And I bring that all under your covering. And then fully dressed again, which I was very thankful for, I went back into the prayer closet. And with all this still on, I began to say, okay, God, all of this that makes up me, I put underneath your covering. I put underneath your, your authority there. And it was such a powerful, it was a powerful experience of, of just bringing everything, under, surrendering everything under God's covering and under his, story, under his authority. I went back into the room, I picked back up the book that I was supposed to be reading, and I came to this, uh, I, I read this immediately when I picked up the book, it said this, to the person who tarries before the Lord in obedience in the upper room ministry, have you come to the end of yourself, empty, cleansed, humble, low under the precious blood of Jesus? Let me ask you that question here this morning. Have you come to the end of yourself, empty, cleansed, humble, low under the precious blood of Jesus? See, folks, it's, it's our learning, it's our intellect, our ideas, our opinions, our arrogance, our positions, our giftings, our talents, our accolades. These are all filters that can stand in the way of our relationship with God. And that's why holiness is the complete surrender of my will to God. And it's not demanding my own way. That's what holiness is. And that's why we need to figuratively take off our sandals and sometimes even literally take off our sandals before God. See, folks, I get it. This issue of holiness can trigger these bad religious mindsets and these bad religious baggage that we care. But at the same time, holiness is one of those things that is just an enormous part of our Christian walk with God. Again, Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. See, folks, not only does God command us to be holy, but without holiness, we'll be constantly missing God. And maybe for you this morning, that's what's going on. You recognize there's just a miss 
with you and God. You're trying to figure out what it is, and you're trying to figure out, God, where are you in this? I know there's something going by. So maybe it's because you haven't fully surrendered your life to God. Maybe it's something things that you're holding on, demanding your way, and as a result, you're just, you're just missing God here. See, holiness, the essence of holiness is that we're quick to repent and swift to obey. Holiness is not doing a list of do's and don'ts that some church or some person prescribes for you. Holiness is you reading the Bible for yourself and you listening to the Holy Spirit for yourself and then simply doing what God tells you to do and stop doing what God tells you to do. That's holiness. And so if you go away from this morning thinking that holiness is about taking off your shoes or removing your clothes and praying or doing some other lists of do's and don'ts, and you're missing the whole point because the pursuit and the chasing after holiness is the continual, perpetual surrender of my will to the will of God. That's holiness. And let me just say, that's what God is asking of you and me because that's when we'll see God. If you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. And right where you are, I want you to just begin to ask God, what are those things that you need to surrender? Maybe even in having this conversation this morning, there's already things that are stirring in you. The Holy Spirit's already been stirring things in you and reminding you of things that he's already spoken, he's asked you to do, or he's asked you to stop doing. Maybe some things that God is already stirring inside of you that you're relying upon. Those things that you're using as your coverings. What are those sandals in your life that you need to take off? And then right where you are, I just want you to picture whatever the Holy Spirit brings to mind. I want you to just picture just putting those in your hands. And then with your hands upturned towards heaven, present those to God, begin to surrender, to let go and say, okay, God, I'm going to let go of these things. I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to demand my way, but I'm going to surrender these things to you. Why don't you just pray this after me? Say, God, I realize. Say it out loud. God, I realize that I'm not always aware of the things that I'm holding on to tightly. I'm not always aware of the things that have become my coverings. I'm not always aware of the religious to-do list that guilts me into submission. And so today, I'm asking that you would expose those things that are dividing my heart and that are compromising my commitment to you. I'm asking that you would expose all of these religious substitutes for holiness today. I'm making a decision to surrender everything to you. Help me to get my focus off of me and any and all religious substitutes. I let go of control. I let go of my will. I let go of these do's and don'ts. And today, God, I choose your will. God, your will be done in my life. I surrender my life to you, and I choose to walk in holiness because I want to see you 
Jesus' name. We're going to take communion here together. As we take communion here, I want to remind you that this is a question that needs to be answered. See, Jesus gave his life fully. He surrendered his life. The Bible says he surrendered his life to the obedience, a willingness to give his life for us. And that's what he did. He gave his life for us. And so these tables are a question where Jesus reaches his arms out and said, I have given you my life. Will you now give me your life? And so with your shoes off, your sandals off, you already put them on, didn't you? Maybe in that place of vulnerability, in that place of uncomfortableness, with just your toe sticking out of your sock, or your feet smelling this morning, how about coming to the communion table and saying, okay, God, I give you everything. I come out from all those other things that cover me up, and I want to come under your covering. We do communion this way. You don't have to be a member here at One Chapel to participate with this. This is something that Jesus invites us to. And so if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to be a part of this. If you've never really known what that's been, maybe you've been in church, but you've never really done something specific to actually give your life. The Bible's very specific. is that if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so right there where you are, you can do that. You can just ask Jesus to come into your life and then come forward and take communion. What we'll do, we'll start with the front row and go back. You'll exit from your right and come on up here, take a piece of bread, dip in the juice, and then go back to your seat and just have that, that moment with God as an individual, all right? Let's do this here together. Father, that's our heart cry here this morning, that we would know you more. And God, we recognize here this morning that you want us to know you, that you call us to yourself. But these things that can get in the way where we start demanding our own way just interferes with you drawing us near. And so, Father, I pray as we go through this week, that God, that you would show us those literal and figurative sandals that we need to remove as we come up before you, that we can experience you, that we can see you. That, God, we would, our lives would be molded after you and not after this world. And Lord, I pray that for every one of us. We have people up front here at the end of every service to pray with you. If there's things that are going on in your life that you would like somebody to agree with you, I say this every week, that there's no reason for you to try to walk this life by yourself. God puts us in family. God puts us together. And these men and women are here to stand with you, to pray with you, to agree with you, no matter what it is that you're going through. So please take the time before you leave to ask somebody just to agree with you, to pray with you here. They'll just remain up here for however long it need be. If you would, I want you to grab a hold of the person's hand beside you. And I just want to speak 
a blessing over you. As we, as a family, as friends, even as strangers here this morning, we need God in our life. And so I just want to speak that blessing over you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week.